Welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. It is a beautiful day in Columbus, Georgia to worship God. I know as we inch into the fall, we are looking for some relief from our heat-soaked lives. And in the same way, I invite you to open yourself to the refreshing and renewing power of God's Holy Spirit. We're glad you're here. Come on in. The first lesson this morning comes from the scriptures, Psalm 118, 24, and Micah 6, 8. Listen for these very familiar words of the Lord. From the Psalms, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. From Micah, he has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. I also get to do the second lesson this morning, which comes from Ephesians 4, verses 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. Listen once more. So then put away falsehood. Let us all speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up their stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving of one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm honored to be with the saints at First Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Georgia this morning. For those of you who spent a little bit of time watching television yesterday, you're going to need to be kind to some people. Uh, Alabama lost by one, Georgia Tech won by one, something's wrong with the world, it's not on its axis. And we won't talk about, my daughter-in-law is a UT graduate, my son is a Georgia Tech graduate. There was a lot of happiness and a lot of sadness in their home. But for all you Go Dogs fans, it was a good day. I'm honored to be with you today. Um, when my dad, Alfred King, returned from World War II, 
along with millions of other men and women from around the world, he wrestled with what kind of work he would do. He eventually purchased a store that had gas pumps out front, and he called it A. King's Grocery Store, Alfred A. King's Grocery Store. I thought that's pretty, I didn't realize what he was saying until later in life. I grew up waiting on customers and pumping gas, 19 cents a gallon. A dollar's worth of gas would get your oil checked, your radiator checked, your windshield wiped, and if you insisted, I'd check the air in your tires for a dollar. No tips, ever. Only later did I understand why my dad chose the grocery business. When he was a child growing up during the Depression, his father was a barber. And during the Depression, when people didn't have money, they cut their own hair. And my dad went to bed many nights hungry because there was not enough food in the house. So when he returned from the war, he swore he would never be hungry again. So he went into the grocery business. I still remember that Saturday night. I was around eight or nine years of age. We were closing up. Uh, it was about eight o'clock at night. And Dad said, son, go get a box out of the back and bring it up here, which I did because I was his number one assistant. He said, get some uh, flour and some uh, rice. And he started going through the list of all the things that a large family needs to eat for a week. And he, when I'd fill the box, he reached in the candy case and threw in four or five bars of candy. I guess he didn't trust me to do that one. Uh, and then we said, come on, go with me. And we put the box in the back of the car and drove about a mile and a half, two miles down the road to a row of shotgun houses where he pulled up in the road and uh, driveway in front of one of these with a sandy front to it and a, and a small porch. He says, go put the box on the porch. There were no lights on. I could see a fire burning in the fireplace through a window. So I went and I put the box on the front porch and got back in the car and he blew the corn, backed out, and went back to the store. But on the way back, I said, Dad, what are you doing? You didn't write anything down on that charge pad. You didn't add anything up with the adding machine. Are you, are you, why are you giving away our groceries? He said, son, it's been a really wet week. It has rained every single day this week. And Lige works in the pulp wood business. He drives a truck. He hasn't been able to work a single day this week, so he hasn't made any money to buy groceries to feed his family. And I, hate, I know there are at least four, maybe five children that live with him. When they didn't show up for their normal buying groceries on Saturday night, I knew he didn't have the money. So those children need to eat. I said, Dad, why are you doing this? Son, he said, it's the right thing to do. And it's what Jesus would do. That has stayed with me, as you can tell, my entire life. That simple act of kindness and generosity has shaped my life in ways that I probably don't even fully understand at this moment. I wonder what has happened to these concepts of kindness and generosity. I wonder if we've lost them or just misplaced them at the moment because it certainly does not seem to be the way of the world at the moment. And I know this is not something that just is happening in the 21st century. When I read what Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, I realize it was a problem 
that he was addressing in his letter to these early churches. Listen again to what he wrote in the last verse this morning in verse chapter 4. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as Christ and God has forgiven you. Pretty specific directives. The early followers of Christ in Ephesus were evidently dealing with some of the same issues that we're dealing with in the 21st century. And Paul wanted to make sure that these followers distinguished themselves from all of the Greeks living under this Roman dictatorship, especially in Ephesus. Judy and I visited the ruins of Ephesus several years ago. If you have a chance, I recommend to you. We marveled at this amazing city that was established a thousand years before Paul was there. Think about that. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site today and was famous for its Temple of Artemis, which has been designated as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Imagine being an early Greek in an early Greek-dominated culture that worshipped many Roman gods, including the pagan temple dedicated to the goddess Diana. It was a challenging place to try to practice your faith as a new Christian following the way. And Paul is encouraging them to live their lives in a very distinct and different manner from all of those around them. Paul adds even more in chapter 5. Walk in love. Walk in love. Be kind to one another. Wow. In many ways, Paul with these admonitions is reflecting the the prophet Micah who a thousand years before wrote a passage that you know by heart for some of you. Micah's, Micah's words are a summary of all that the Old Testament prophets preached when he said, and what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Be kind to one another, Paul said. Love kindness, Micah says. Separated by a thousand years, these servants of God focus on the importance of people who believe in God and Christ learning to be kind to one another and to others. I wonder when we lost kindness in our modern world. I mean, if it were a stock on the stock market, it would have fallen off the market these days. Can you imagine living in a kinder world? Paul could, Micah could, Jesus certainly can. I wonder if we can. I recently encountered a most fascinating book, The Power of Kindness, The Unexpected Benefits of Living a Compassionate Life by a man named Piero Ferrucci. He's an Italian writer. It's his 10th year anniversary. I wish I had discovered it 10 years ago, but I don't read many Italian writers. It is in English, yes. I was not reading it in Italian. Kind, he says, is not just please and thank you. Kindness lies at the core of qualities that help humans not only to survive, but to thrive. And the Apostle Paul would add, it is an essential quality of all of us who call ourselves Christian. Have you ever thought that being kind was one of the distinguishing marks of calling ourselves Christian? Paul said it is. And he wants those early Christians 
to practice it so that they can be different from all the people around them. And people will wonder why they're different. Why are they acting that way? Micah believed it's one of the requirements of God. Kindness appears to fall off the radar in our current world. Too often, we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which have the potential to turn a life around, Leo Biscaglia writes. Sometimes it's the smallest act that has the biggest impact. In 1982, Anne Herbert was sitting in a restaurant in Sausalito, California, reading the paper, struggling with the random acts of violence and senseless acts of cruelty that she was encountering. In a moment of inspiration, she took out her pen and she wrote on her placemat the phrase, practice random acts of kindness and a senseless acts of beauty. This concept of practicing random acts of kindness caught on. Ten years later, she published a book, Random Acts of Kindness. Perhaps you've read it or heard about it. Two years later, the Random Acts of Kindness Foundation was established. This organization was established to provide resources and materials that make kindness the norm. Can you imagine living in a world where the kindness is the norm? In 1995, on February the 17th, the first Random Acts of Kindness Day was celebrated. And in 2005, New Zealand made Kindness Day an official national day, a national holiday for their entire country where people went around and practiced random acts of kindness. Kindness is a precious gift in God and guide that God has given us to help us to make sense of this confusing world in which we live. Kindness can become an extraordinary spiritual journey that radically changes our way of thinking and being and moves us toward becoming more the person God has created each and every one of us to be. But it's not an easy journey, especially for us men. The culture we live in does not support us being kind. How in the world do we get here? Well, I'm not sure, and I don't know what COVID did to us, but it helped. Have you made a phone call lately to any kind of agency or organization trying to get some help or ask a question? You don't talk to a person. You talk to a machine, a computerized voice. And most of you are not even answering your phone anymore because you look to see who's calling, if you still have a landline. Well, it's also on our cell phones. People calling us that we don't know, and they don't really want to talk to us. They just want money. You park your car, there's no attendance. There's a little box you put your money in. You shop at the store, oh, there's no, nobody to check you out. You check yourself out at this point. You receive, oh, do you receive any letters from your friends? No, they have been replaced with emails and text. Our doctors come in to see us. They don't talk to us anymore. They're looking at their computer to see what all of our tests are showing us. Our kids seldom play baseball or, or sports in the backyard. They're on their tablets. And rather than talking with our friends on the phone, we peruse Facebook or Twitter or TikTok to see what's happening with them or our family members. Relationships have become more fragile and people seem to have less time to encounter and relate to one another. And political discourse, that's exactly the opposite of kindness. For centuries, there was a Bible by our bed. Now we have an iPhone. 
The world desperately needs us to help change the world for God's sake. And we, like those early Christians in Ephesus, must intentionally find ways to be kind to one another. The great English writer, Aldous Huxley, who wrote over 50 books, many of you have read his book, Brave New Worlds, which is probably his most famous, is still read by millions and millions, particularly younger adults today. They turned to his insights, and toward the end of his life, he said, people often ask me, what is the most effective technique for transforming their lives? It's a little embarrassing, but after years of research and experimentation, he said, the best thing I can say is just be kinder. We don't need a telescope or a microscope or a horoscope to see that living a life of kindness is the way to live if we're living in Christ. That is the message of Paul to those early Christians in Ephesus. That is the message of the gospel to us today living in the 21st century. Following Jesus is all about our relationship with him, and that relationship shapes and molds our ways of relating and changes the way we live our lives when we're following him. As an only child, I realized, thanks to my wife and my children and my friends, that my early view of the world was unrealistic. I was born into a family of aunts and uncles that all had girl children, and I was the only boy. So when I sat down to eat a meal, whatever family members, I never got had to ask for tea. I was always asked which piece of chicken I wanted first. If there was a birthday cake, I got the one with the most icing on it. And then God sent me Judy. My wife, Judy, who happens to be here, is the oldest of four. She's Presbyterian, so it was predestined that we come together. You understand. <laughs> her experiences in her life were more realistic than mine, and she has helped me see that my sense of entitlement is not the way of the real world. God had a plan when he brought us together, and it has helped me to realize that, yes, I'm special, but I'm no more special than you or you or you we're all God's only children. Judy has taught me so much more about generosity than any Sunday school lesson or any sermon I've ever heard. Generosity, I'm convinced, is a hallmark of living a kinder life. Believe it or not, Jesus taught that life is more about giving than getting. Being kind, doing good, loving others, that's more than a slogan of life. It's a way of the life that Jesus teaches. The leaders we have come to admire the most throughout our lives are not the leaders with the most toys or possessions. They're not the leaders that make it all about themselves. Leaders we admire the most do not place themselves at the center. They place others there. They focus on satisfying others' needs and looking for ways to respond to those needs of people. Mother Teresa... Muhammad Gatney, Albert Schweitzer, Henry Nowen, Hen Howard Thurman, Jim Johnson. We all know the names of great leaders who have changed the world for good. Kindness is an important ingredient in changing the world for good. 
Its qualities of trust and gratitude and generosity are desperately needed in our anxious, divided, and violent world. Sir William Osler says it this way, we're here to add what we can, not get what we can from life. Christians add what we can to life. And all of us who call ourselves Christians know that helping others make life feel more worthwhile. My family and my faith have taught me that giving back is essential for giving, for to living life as God intended. And stewardship is the word that we put on that. And you're celebrating that season of stewardship here. Christians who are kind and generous are good stewards with all they received. Grand Grand Judy's dad loved coming to the First Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Georgia, when he was growing up in the First Presbyterian Church in Macon, Georgia. He loved to come to youth meetings here. Grand Grand was a special person in all of our lives, having grown up in First Presbyterian Church of Macon. He was a loving, extremely committed Christian and a good steward and all the resources that he had. He was also a sport and had a joke for everything. My favorite for this season of, of stewardship is about the two gentlemen in the boat who were having a day of fishing, and one of them had just driven up in a brand new, extremely expensive, very beautiful sports car. And his friend's talking to him, and he says, how in the world can you afford that car? He said, I, I worked it out. I quit tithing two years ago. He said, I've saved my tithe for two years and I bought that car. His friend looked at him, shook his head and said, I wish I could get a car that cheap. <laughs> you get it. Jesus and Paul got it. They taught that kindness and generosity were essential parts of what it means to follow Christ. My dad taught that to me one night in A. King's grocery store on Highway 84 when I was a young child. When the tragic events of 9-11 occurred, the world knew about it in moments. We all saw it over and over and over. But soon people heard about it much later. A tribe in South Kenya in an area remote from modern technology only heard about the attacks months later. I would never have believed that until I met Benson Kimity. Benson was a student at CSU. He had been recruited to run because he was from Kenya and he could run. He was an exceptional athlete. He was also one of our servant scholars. That's how we met him. We adopted Benson, got to know him. He had grown up in an area, a remote village out in the bush with no electricity, no running water, no technology, no city nearby. All those things we just take for granted. Many in Kenya are cut off from the modern world as we know it. When this tribe in South Kenya heard about the tragedy of 9-11 months after the event, they called a council meeting to discuss how they could respond to the awful thing that had happened to their friends in America, in New York. Dressed in their multicolored garments, they decided they needed to send their most precious possession to the people of New York in the midst of their tragedy. The one thing they had that the most, had the most meaning both to them spiritually and physically, almost the same meaning as having as one of their children, they sent 14 cows, the animals, their most sacred and precious gift from their culture. The cows were handed over to the deputy of the U.S. Embassy in Kenya in a remote village with the words, to the people of America, we give these cows to help you. 
You can read about this in a book entitled 14 Cows for America. These Kenyan friends living in a remote portion of Africa, by our standards having little worldly possessions, had frequently known the torment of hunger, were now ready to give their most prized possessions to people they had never met. Kindness and generosity in action. Now, Judy says, I have to tell you what happened with the cows. They were going to ship them to the New York Zoo and decided that just wasn't going to work. They're going to be quarantined and all other kind of things. So they are now still in Kenya, and they have pastures, and there are now 36 of them. And from the sale of these calves that come off of this that they don't keep, they're sending Kenyan students to school scholarships for them. Micah says, nearly a thousand years before Christ, love kindness. Paul says, nearly 2,000 years ago, be ye kind one to another. Jesus said, we are to love God and love one another. For in Hebrew, kindness is another word for steadfast love. We need more of it in our world today. During this Thanksgiving season, may we all, with God's help, bring a little more kindness and generosity in all that we say and do. This is the day the Lord has made. What will you do with it? Let us pray. God, take our words and use them in ways that we cannot even begin because we know that your spirit can work. Open our hearts. We thank you for this time. Amen.